Welcome to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me for interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. This week, we have a unique and exciting opportunity as we focus on the Connected Health Conference here in Boston. Partners Connected Health is honored to be the organizing partner for this world-class event, and I am proud to serve as program chair. We're thrilled to share a mini-series of podcast episodes featuring luminaries from our program. So our next guest created Artificial Immortality to capture and share the personality and life story of his late father. He calls his creation DadBot, a conversation-making program using artificial intelligence technology and explores new technical frontiers in his writing for such highly regarded publications as Wired Magazine, The New York Times, Popular Science, and The Atlantic. Our guest is James Vlahos, who's currently working on a book, Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Change the Way We Live, Work, and Think, looking at how voice recognition technology could transform how we use computers, how we interact with smartphones, appliances, cars, and much, much more. In this new book, James also answers the tough questions, including if voice-driven interfaces will increase our addiction to all things digital. James studied journalism at the University of Oregon and began his career as a researcher at National Geographic before becoming senior editor and contributing editor. He delivered a very personal and insightful keynote address at the Connected Health Conference this year, and I'm looking forward to talking with James more about his dad bot, work on his new book, and some of his most recent coverage of the Alexa Prize. So without further ado, welcome James. Thanks for having me. So James, in, in 2017, and this is how I really got on you on my radar, uh, in 2017 you wrote a very poignant article for Wired Magazine uh, called A Son's Race to Give His Dying Father Artificial Immortality. In that article, you chronicled your father's life story, recording his voice, telling his own story, in more than a dozen sessions over several months following his diagnosis with stage four lung cancer. After your father passed away, you put those recordings into a software program that now lets you have an actual conversation with your late father, John Vlahos. The bot carries out conversations using John's own stories and words. You got the idea in 2015 while working on an article about a software program that could create interactive conversational characters for the story you were working on, Hello Barbie, about an AI update of the famous doll. So James, can you please, for our listeners, walk us through your decision to create DadBot, how you did it, uh, and in fact, how did you create artificial immortality for your dad? Well, it all started with my father's cancer diagnosis, which came in April of 2016. And it was just one of those things that the family never saw coming. I guess nobody sees that kind of thing coming. And we were all 
just sort of up in arms emotionally and wondering what we could do, wondering what we should do, knowing that his expectancy was going to be in a matter of months rather than anything that could be measured in years. So right away, something that percolated to the top was this idea of doing an oral history project. And it's the kind of thing we've been talking about off and on for years, but there's never the right time to do it, or it, it never had bubbled up to the, the top of the to-do list. So now suddenly knowing that we're going to lose my dad, okay, this is, we got to get this and we got to get it now. Uh, so that's what kicked off stage one. And being the journalist in the family, it naturally fell to me to sit with my father and do these sessions an hour or so at a time where I would just pick a part of his life or his heritage or his career, whatever it was, sit and talk with him and record everything that he had to say. So that was sort of, if you can imagine, that's on one track of my life at that point. And it's a big track. It was really consuming most of my thoughts and emotional energy. But at the same time, I was kicking off this work on Talk to Me, the book that you referenced about conversational computing. So although I wasn't a programmer by background myself, I was getting more and more knowledgeable about what was being done in the realm of, of chatbots and conversational AI. And one of the things that was most interesting to me was this notion that it was, it was no longer going to be the province uh, specifically of you know, people with PhDs in computer science, uh, that interfaces were being created so that people like me, creatives and artists and writers and playwrights and comedians and whoever it is, could start creating conversational characters. Um, and it, it's a technical skill to do so, and I can tell you more about that. But the idea is that it's putting it at least somewhat more in reach of, of people without technical backgrounds. Uh, and all the work that I had seen on this was in doing fictional characters, bringing things like Barbie to life or bringing animated characters to life such that a, a kid could have a back-and-forth conversation of sorts with technology uh, with the help of AI. So thinking about that, knowing what I did about that, then on the other hand, having the situation with my father, sort of these two tracks intersected, and I thought, what if I could, instead of doing a fictional character, what if I created a bot that was of a real character, the person who matters much more to me, my dad, uh, so that was that was the beginning of of the journey. Um, would you like me to continue and tell tell you what happened next? And yeah, no, this is such a riveting story. Please go on. So I had watched the the, the company whose software I used to create the Dadbot is Polstring, and it was founded by veterans of Pixar, and they had had this idea of bringing characters from entertainment to not to life uh, to make them interactive. And I had watched the people at Pullstring create Hello Barbie. That was one of their pro projects. And, you know, watched in great detail sort of all the behind the scenes creation of Hello Barbie. And that gave me some confidence, although somewhat false confidence that, hey, you know, this, this doesn't look that hard and, and I could figure out how to do this myself and create this chatbot version of my father. And 
you know, it turns out that it, uh, maybe no surprise, is very difficult uh, to do that. And computer conversation, regardless of what you may have seen in sci-fi, what you might imagine, there's no sort of magic AI yet mm. such that you could you know, take a person's writings or take everything that they've posted on Facebook, pour it into the computer, and magically it creates a computerized version of a real person. You can have a conversation. So it's with the current state of the art in conversational AI, it's, it's a laborious, handcrafted, you know, manual planning out of lots and lots of things for a chatbot to say and teaching it to listen to what people might say back to it such that you can map out conversations like branches of a tree that can fork off in any number of directions. So I spent, uh, started out, I thought, you know, this maybe will take a few weeks and then a few weeks turned into more than a month and then more than a month turned into several months. And now I'm at the point I, I have a working dad bot and yet I feel like I could always keep working on it and always keep making it better. Mm. Interesting. So I think that, again, the, the concept itself is, and the story in Wired was, for, for any of our listeners, should, should look it up because it's just, an, it's so well written and, and such a wonderful uh, combination of the human side and, and the emerging technology. But tell us, uh, for those people who don't want to bother to look it up, just give us a couple lessons learned uh, uh, that, you know, about artificial intelligence. You, you've said some of this, but how far are we really to creating something that would be, that would resemble a uh, artificial immortality? We're in the earliest stages of being able to enable artificial immortality and you know, my definition of that, by the way, is not that you are really cre replicating the being who's passed away. Like that's not only impossible, it's morally, ethically, whatever else, inadvisable. Yeah. Right. Um, what we can do is use technology to create, you know, good reminders of someone who's gone and to keep their memory alive and elements of their personality alive in a much more detailed, interactive, granular way than you would get from really any pre-existing form of technology. Uh, so it, it can be done. And, you know, one of my takeaways was, you know, if, if someone like me who does not have a computer science background can take several months uh, and several grueling months of, of labor to create a memorializing chatbot that, you know, at a minimal level works, does what it sets out to do. Then I just think how much more could people at Google or Facebook or wherever else, um, what could they do if they really turn their attention to this, this type of thing? So, it, it's it's hard. Like again, we we've we've been primed by so much science fiction to think that true AI is here. Uh, AI has also been in the news a lot lately for breakthroughs at winning at games like Go or chess, or for its ability to drive cars or diagnose diseases. 
we hear about all this stuff and we just think, ah, it just, it must be right around the corner that I could have a full conversation with a computer just like I would with a human. And we're making a lot of progress, but at the same time, we're quite a long ways from that. I wonder, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about my own father who has been gone since 2008 and we were all very, very close and he was a character. So I, I'm just envisioning speaking into a computer and having some of his quips come back. Or I guess the question I have for you is, as you've experienced this, again, knowing that it's not perfect, and I remember it in the Wired piece, you talked quite a bit about ways that, that it was off uh, and, and ways that it would say something that you knew was, was not right uh, compared to what your father would have said. So how much does it, uh, make you fond, have fond memories, or is it just pro, sort of pro, prolonging the pain of having your dad pass away? How, how does how do you balance that? For me, it 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 doesn't pick at the scab, the emotional scab, in in a bad way. Uh, it just it's just it's a it's a mnemonic device. Yeah, um, a lot of what. The dad bot says, you know, these are his actual words that yeah. I have pulled from when I did the oral history project. I, I wound up recording 90,000 words worth of him speaking. So I have a lot of his actual words. And of course, I have all of my memories. So it just it's very nice when it's his exact lexicon or, you know, peculiar kind of fact that is distinctive to him to even care about at all that the, yeah. the dad bot would share. Yeah. And, and sort of to top that off, I just, I don't have, I realize that some people have the idea of grieving means it's like a, a healing paradigm. It's a process you go through and it's over and like, Ooh, God, glad I got over that. And you know, that's not really how I see it. Like, why is it something to get over? I mean, maybe the, the emotional agony is something you want to get over, but not necessarily the thinking about remembering, celebrating a person yep. part of things. I tell you, it's it's just it's such an interesting paradigm to think about. Uh, I want to switch gears uh, and come back to a thread that you you mentioned a little bit and unpack it a, a little further, and that is the the uh, fact that the um, AI is is not as far along as we think. And I'm I'm going to use another piece you wrote to tee that up, which is. Another piece in Wired on the Alexa Prize. I, I was, again, I read that with great interest, and I was really one of the things that shocked me was I think I think if I'm not mistaken, you said they have five thousand people at Amazon working on conversational AI. Just the sheer number of people trying to sort this out was was mind-boggling to me. Uh, and of course, others we don't know, but I'm sure Apple, Facebook, Google—they're all Microsoft. They're all doing things in this space. Um, yeah, when you talked about the Alexa Prize, and, and I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about that article here momentarily. Again, what was really interesting to me was, first of all, no one succeeded in, in getting an, a conversational AI that lasts 20 minutes. But secondly, some of the ways that the, the computer program stumbled. And I was hoping that you would share a little bit of that with our, our listeners, because I thought it was absolutely fascinating. So the Alexa Prize, for anyone who doesn't know about it, is it's a contest launched by Amazon 
And the idea was it pitted university teams, PhD students mostly from around the world, create a chatbot that can have a 20-minute social conversation with people, and the winning team gets a million dollars. So that is, that's not just a moonshot goal, that's a Mars shot goal because it's so far off from what's possible today. A lot of the interactions we have with Siri or Alexa or Google Assistant, you know, they're very short. They transpire over you know, one to three terms, turns, and they're often very function-oriented. Set timer for 20 minutes. Who won the Warriors game? Um, you know, get directions to SFO, whatever it is. So these kind of functional utilitarian interactions. Social conversation, it's about anything and everything. There's almost no predicting where it's going to go. And to truly master it, you would need perfect AI. You would need AI that's as smart as a person. So just to kind of set the bar, when you talk about having, having a social bot that can just converse freely and naturally with people, you're really talking about creating a computer that is as smart as a person. So, so everybody knows that's just a way far off goal that maybe we'll reach and, and maybe we'll never reach. Um, that said, Amazon's idea was if we set the bar really high, even though we won't get to it, we'll still spur a lot of interesting research. So they did, you know, I, I sat and listened to a lot of these, these conversations between the university social bots and just random people around the world accessing the social bots through Alexa. And they're very amusing to listen to because for, you know, one to four conversational turns, they sound perfect. And you're thinking, this is, this is amazing. This computer is so smart. And then the computer will say something that you realize it had absolutely no idea what the conversation was, was, was truly about. <laughs> so what, one of the ones that I always remember is a woman was trying to have a conversation with one of the bots about North Korea. And she says, you know, I'm worried about this. There could be a chance of going to war. What do you think? And the social bot, it, didn't quite hear the word war right and it, and thought that she had said WOR, which is the name of a radio station. So it responds, WOR is a clear channel radio station, 50,000 watts, and goes off on this track that's just, I mean, it's comically bad. Um, and that, that's typical of chatbots. When they fail, they fail hard and in a way that's just, you, know, you slap your hand against your forehead. Well, and I remember one. So again, you're you're going to correct me if I if my memory is faulty from reading this piece uh, months ago. But about uh, listening to music and confusing the artist uh, Jack Johnson for for another uh, like going off in a completely different direction. Yes, yes, I I remember that one as well. It's really you, uh, know, you know a lot of what's happening today is. AI is sort of a task of pattern matching. So the computer is hearing a set of sound waves. It's turning those sound waves into a hypothesis of what words were spoken. And then, you know, not unlike a internet search, it's just sort of matching. Like, you know, what words, what response correlates with these words? So it's the computers are pulling bits of content that it think 
correspond to the words that are said. But that's, that's not really the same as, as understanding in depth what the conversation is about, you know, what was said two, three, four turns ago in the conversation. Uh, there's, there's not really logical operation that's happening, like we're trying to agree or disagree or support a conclusion or disagree with the conclusion. So there's really, there's, there's a lot that's not happening with today's yeah. conversational AI. Well, it kind of reminds me of how I am at cocktail parties, so we're going to move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, I want to talk to you about the book, uh, and I realize it's uh, in progress, so you, you feel free to tell us what you can and, and, of course, withhold what you don't want to talk about. But uh, the, the book is called Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Work. Sorry, the, how, we, how Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Live, Work, and Think. And uh, the, the publication date, I'm going to put my pre-order in, is March 2019. So I'd love to, I think our listeners would be eager to hear what inspired you to, because we all know working on a book is, is uh, a big time commitment. And, and uh, so what inspired you to go off on, on that direction and what have you learned so far? Uh, give us a little preview of, of what's coming out in this book. Sure. Yeah. Talk to me, which is coming out in March 2019, as you say, get my shameless self-promotion in. Uh, it's a book fundamentally in three parts. The first part is telling the story of conversational computing from a business perspective. So this is the battle between Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft to dominate the biggest new paradigm, emerging paradigm since the smartphone. So it's a, it's a platform war for the ages. There's billions of dollars at stake, and these companies are grappling with all their might to dominate this new paradigm. So that's really the first story of the book. It kind of begins with the story of how the first virtual assistant Siri came to be. Then it goes through Google Assistant and Alexa coming onto the scene, takes us right into the present, and makes projections about, about where we're heading. Second third of the book is the technological story of voice computing. So it's, it's some of these challenges that I've alluded to earlier, but it, it starts in the deep prehistory of teaching machines to talk, which goes back more than a thousand years. This is something people have dreamt about for a long time. Then all the way through the 20th century, the earliest chatbots, um, and just the technology itself, like what are the challenges and how how are scientists and engineers making it happen? And the final third of the book becomes the, the cultural side of voice computing. Like, what does this mean to the world that we're now we're going to have artificial AI friends? What does it mean that we're going to have AI oracles who give us answers to any question that we ask? Uh, what does it mean when we can create immortal entities like the DadBot uh, that are emulating and preserving real people? So that's the book in a nutshell. I think everybody should read it to find out more. Uh, and the, uh, the inspiration, you know, goes all the way back to my childhood when I encountered Eliza, mm -hmm. uh, which was arguably the world's first chatbot uh, created in the 1960s by Joseph Weizenbaum, uh, MIT psychiatrist, uh, kind of parodies a... Uh, Rogerian therapist 
and uh, you know you can have a little conversation with it about your problems, and it chats back over a computer. So I remember seeing that in a science museum and just kind of being fascinated right then that there was this little quasi life form on the other side of the screen. And then when I got a little older, I programmed a sort of a text-based adventure game myself. Uh, and then I left all of that behind for many, many years and only in adulthood hearing about Siri and Alexa. And I started to think like, oh, this, this thing from way back then, it's, it's now finally happening. And I just, I became totally hooked by this quest to create conversational computers. Well, in all, in all seriousness, I'm looking forward to it. I really, really, really enjoy li reading uh, the the uh, work that you do, and uh, will continue to do so. And uh, it fits very much into uh, the world of connected health because there there is that confusion now in the healthcare field about how far along we are with artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm guessing you you've seen some of these headlines, but uh, I'm a dermatologist, and there's a a computer algorithm that can diagnose melanoma as well as or better than a dermatologist. There's a computer algorithm that can diagnose a diabetic retinopathy as well as an ophthalmologist. There are computer algorithms that can do a radiology uh, as well as a radiologist. And there are computer algorithms that can diagnose metastatic cancer and lymph nodes as good as a pathologist. What's interesting about all that, though, is that those of us in my profession that are feeling nervous about that have clearly forgotten what it means to be a doctor because if it were only making a diagnosis, we should have delegated that to computers a, a long time ago. And so knowing that the humanness that we uh, interact with our patients, first of all, is something we have to build back into our profession. That's one of my messages, but also that there's no time in the near future when a computer is going to take that away from us. I think that's uh, important for us to remind folks. Uh, it, it also reminds me of an article I, I read in uh, Harvard Business Review by uh, Barry Liebert and Megan Beck, and the title was something like, as we have more artificial intelligence in business, we need more emotional intelligence and training. And it's something, I think, along those lines that we, we really kind of just have to get back to what it means to be a human being. So. It's really, your work has really informed my thinking about this topic, and uh, I know the listeners will be really excited and, 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 uh, to learn about this. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be publishing uh, uh, your, your talk from the Connected Health Conference, uh, uh, the video, and we'll, we know people will want to see that and they'll want to order the book. So uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I look forward to continuing to uh, learn from you and interact with you and uh, uh, see you as soon as possible. Great. Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks from me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager, for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash connected health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.